Bret Hart had left the WWF under a cloud of controversy, but his arrival in WCW felt like it was full of possibilities. The Montreal Screwjob had left Hart feeling betrayed and unwanted. The hope was that he could get back to being the top-level performer that he was used to being. But as we'll see, Hart's time in WCW not only hurt his career more, it also ended it. Mismanagement, inconsistent booking and a series of unfortunate events sidelined Hart, leading to a sad end to one of wrestling's most beloved icons. Before we start today's video, if this is the kind of wrestling content that you're into, I'd appreciate a thumbs up and a subscribe if you haven't already. It's much appreciated. Bret Hart had been one of the WWF's most recognisable superstars for over a decade. He'd held multiple championships and he'd always been proud to represent the company. Over the years, a unique father-son bond had developed between Hart and Vince McMahon. Hart once saw McMahon as more than just a boss, he was like a father figure. WCW had become a real threat to the WWF's existence during the 90s. Rival boss Eric Bischoff was hell-bent on destroying the World Wrestling Federation. One of his strategies involved tempting away McMahon's top talent with multi-million dollar contracts, and it was a strategy that worked really well. In 1996, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall both jumped ship, and that scared McMahon. Clearly, Bischoff meant business. And so, Bischoff made Hart one of his million-dollar offers. McMahon panicked and made Hart a counter-offer with a huge 20-year contract of his own. Because Brett was deeply loyal to McMahon and the Federation, he accepted his deal. However, as 1997 progressed, McMahon soon realised that he couldn't afford to keep to the contract. Hart felt let down by this backtracking from McMahon, but the offer from Bischoff made him feel just a little bit better. He bagged himself a three-year contract that included a salary of $2.5 million per year. But as Hart prepared to leave the Federation, a problem lurked on the horizon. He was still the champion, and McMahon was determined that Hart would drop the belt before his departure. The last thing that he wanted was for Hart to appear on Nitro with the championship. Hart was slated to defend the title at the Survivor Series against Shawn Michaels, and this was to take place in Montreal. Hart didn't want to lose the belt to Michaels in Canada. The resulting Montreal screwjob was like a real-life Greek tragedy. At the end of the match, McMahon called for the bell, despite Hart not tapping out, leading to one of the most controversial and talked-about moments in professional wrestling history. The deception affected Hart mentally for years to come, and after years of loyalty, he felt totally betrayed. He hoped that he would find a new lease on life in World Championship Wrestling. Surely, he would get a hero's welcome. By the end of 1997, things were looking really good for WCW. They were on top and winning the Monday Night War. Many fans believed that it wasn't if the WWF was going to go out of business, but when, and it was thought that Bret Hart might provide the metaphorical knockout punch. 
On top of that, everyone was looking forward to dream feuds and matches against the likes of Sting, Ric Flair and DDP. However, there were early signs that WCW's approach might not live up to expectations. At the end of 1997, Bischoff was part of the New World Order and feuding with semi-retired wrestler and commentator Larry Zbysko. The men had a match set for Starcade at the end of December. It was one of those feuds that nobody asked for and nobody wanted to see. On the December the 15th episode of Nitro, Commissioner JJ Dillon introduced the special guest referee for the match. It was none other than Bret Hart. It was the most underwhelming debut imaginable for the hitman. Hart strolled down to the ring where he accepted the offer of being special guest referee. On the mic, he reminded Bischoff that he knew what it was like to get screwed over by a referee. And that was it. That was Bret Hart's debut in the company. Everyone was hoping for Hart to shoot on Vince McMahon and the WWF and it would have been a great opportunity for them to make the competition look bad. But it just never happened. The match between Bischoff and Zabisco at Starcade was a mess. Hart did get a good reaction when he put Scott Hall in a sharpshooter, but otherwise it was trash. One of the most anticipated matches in history was the showdown between Hollywood Hogan and Sting that also took place at Starcade. At the end of the match, Hart got involved and replaced crooked referee Nick Patrick, allowing Sting to get the win. This angle at least established Hart as a babyface and indicated that he wasn't going to join the NWO. Not just yet, anyway. Hart's no-compete clause ended in January and Ric Flair was chosen to be his first opponent. There was pre-existing animosity between the men going back to the early 90s. Hart had made comments that he thought that Flair was overrated and just followed the same routine every match he was in. Flair obviously took offence to these comments. And then in 1992, Flair dropped the championship to Hart when they were both in the WWF. Unfortunately, Hart was less than pleased with Flair's performance. They had a bunch of house show rematches afterwards and Hart became even more incensed at Flair's performances, leading him to wonder whether Flair was trying to sabotage him. Over the years, Flair would hit back at Hart, calling him boring and lacking charisma and saying that he never drew a dime. With this real-life heat between the men, the WCW feud had all the makings of something really good. The premise was simple. Who was the greatest wrestler of all time, Ric Flair or Bret Hart? The promos were decent and the eventual match between them at Sold Out was solid, if not spectacular. Hart come out as the winner and that was that. The problem was, there wasn't much for fans to get their teeth into. It seemed like a missed opportunity for a bigger feud. What was also a baffling choice was the decision to keep Hart away from both Davy Boy Smith and Jim Neidhart. The three men had been in the Hart Foundation back in the Federation and both Smith and Neidhart had signed with WCW after the Montreal Screwjob. Putting them together would have been an easy piece of booking but they chose to ignore it. What the fans really wanted was a confrontation between Hart and the NWO. Hart said that he was going to defend the honour of WCW and it was easy to fantasy book matches with Hart against the likes of Hogan, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, 
but nobody expected Hart to feud with Brian Adams. The former crush jumped ship to WCW and when he arrived in the company he claimed to be a friend to Hart only to betray him and align himself with the NWO instead. Hart and Adams squared off in a couple of matches serving as a brief storyline between pay-per-views. Adams was a mid-carder for life and the fans knew it and Hart shouldn't have been programmed with him. It made him look like a mid-carder too. It was a terrible bit of booking. Here they had one of the world's biggest superstars and by February they'd already wasted him. A rivalry with NWO member Kurt Hennig came next. Naturally, they had a decent match at Uncensored in April, but it felt like it never got into high gear. Around this time, dissent was growing in the NWO. Kevin Nash and Randy Savage were starting to suspect that Hogan was out for himself, and so they splintered into their own group. Now, there were two different NWO factions, both Wolfpack and Hollywood. The Wolfpack were babyfaces and featured Nash, Savage, Hennig, Rick Rude and other popular superstars. It was basically the cool club. The NWO Hollywood faction, on the other hand, was loser central. Hogan's team featured the likes of Scott Norton, Brian Adams, The Disciple, Vincent and Buff Bagwell. The Hitman ended up aligning himself with NWO Hollywood. In April 1998, he helped Hogan beat Savage on Nitro for the World Championship. This was also a heel turn, and so any hope of Hart getting back to being the world's number one babyface had now completely disappeared. It made him look like a massive idiot, as he essentially became Hogan's lackey. Hart tag-teamed with Hogan and appeared as part of Team Hollywood in one of the worst war games matches in wrestling history, and the hitman had already been reduced to being just another cog in the machine. Despite Hart being one of the most recognisable wrestlers on the face of the planet, even he was restricted by the famous glass ceiling. At Bash at the Beach in July, Hart wrestled Booker T for the company's bottom-rung belt, the television title. Things only got slightly better as the year went on, with him winning the vacant United States Championship in a match with DDP. Hart would win and lose the US title on four separate occasions during his run in the company, and it really showed how they valued him. He was worthy of so much more than the secondary title. His feud with Sting was something of a dream matchup, and it should have been so easy to book. The sharpshooter versus the scorpion deathlock angle wrote itself, but this being WCW, they made it convoluted as all heck. The men were entangled in the Wolfpack versus Hollywood nonsense and their match at Halloween Havoc was average at best. As the year went on, you could see Hart's enthusiasm draining away in many of his matches. In reality, Hart was depressed at the state of his career and his marriage was breaking down too. And on the roster, he was getting lost in the shuffle. He was shocked when Bischoff just gave his first match against Hogan away on free TV. And it wasn't just him, it was a problem that was affecting all of WCW. It was becoming clear that the wheels were falling off the promotion by the end of 1998. Eric Bischoff was letting the stress of running the business go to his head and he was making huge mistakes. 
as the NWO feud descended into confusion, the fans started to go cold on the product. Raw was now beating Nitro in the ratings every single week by the end of the year. Within a matter of months, things started going south for Ted Turner's wrestling division, and Hart couldn't believe his bad luck. The WWF was now a $500 million a year company, and yet just a year and a half earlier, McMahon couldn't afford to pay his contract. WCW, on the other hand, had gone from being the future of professional wrestling to the toilet bowl of the business in the same amount of time. After the tragic death of his brother Owen, Hart had an emotional tribute match with Chris Benoit on Nitro. That was one of the more memorable moments during his WCW career. But there was some light amongst the darkness. He won the vacant World Heavyweight Championship in November 1999. The company was about to make its debut in Toronto and Hart was slated to wrestle Goldberg in the main event. He pitched an idea for their match where he would wear a steel chest plate under his jersey. The idea was that when Goldberg would attempt his signature spear, he'd knock himself out, leading to Brett's victory. This would build tension and set up a future match between them on pay-per-view. Both Goldberg and Eric Bischoff absolutely loved the idea. To add some intrigue to the angle, Bischoff asked Hart to act like he was going to go back to the WWF. It finally felt like Bischoff knew how to handle the Hitman, and this is how it should have been since day one. But as the event approached, backstage politics intervened. Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash both got involved, each suggesting different directions for the storyline, and Hogan and Nash seemed to be working at opposite ends to each other, with Bischoff caught in the middle. Despite the backstage turmoil, Hart's segment with Goldberg went off as planned. After being speared by Goldberg, Brett revealed the chest plate and then declared that he was quitting WCW. The angle was a success, but the backstage politics left Brett wondering whether he should actually leave the company for real. At Starcade in December 1999, the main event was set. It was Hart vs Goldberg for the World Heavyweight Championship. The match was going down in fairly standard fashion. That was until Goldberg kicked Hart full force in the head and it would later transpire that Goldberg had given the hitman a life-altering concussion. Despite being foggy and suffering from memory loss, he didn't immediately realise the extent of his injury, and so he continued to work. During the day, Hart was pouring with sweat and suffering from intense headaches, and so he started to self-medicate by dropping dozens of painkillers every day. January the 10th, 2000 would mark the day of his last match, and it really was a sorry end to an illustrious career. The story of one of the world's most famous superstars having suffered a betrayal of unimaginable proportions, seeking a fresh start in a new land, was a tale that should have written itself. Instead, it was squandered from the very moment he first arrived in World Championship Wrestling.